Welcome to Beltway Talk, the podcast of the American International Automobile Dealers Association, where we examine the intersection between Washington politics and the auto retail industry. I'm your host, Hannah Oliver. Today's episode of Beltway Talk is sponsored by AIADA Affinity Partner Federated Insurance. It's our business to protect yours. Since 1997, Federated has partnered with AIADA to provide its members with superior business insurance and risk management solutions. Find out more at AIADA.org. I'm excited to have two guests with us on this episode. Cody Lusk, who is the president and CEO here at AIADA, is joined by Jennifer Safavian, the president and CEO of Autos Drive America. They're here to talk about the newest economic impact report detailing the contributions and investments of the international auto industry and its dealers in the U.S. Well, welcome to Beltway Talk, Cody and Jennifer. Um, first off, can each of you introduce yourselves to Beltway Talk listeners and give a brief recap of what brought you to your current roles? I'll let you start first, Jennifer. Great. Thank you, Hannah, for having me on your podcast today. It's nice to be back. Um, again, for everyone, my name is Jennifer Safavian, and I am the president and CEO of Autos Drive America. Prior to joining the association, I was the Executive Vice President for Government Affairs at the Retail Industry Leaders Association. However, I've spent the majority of my career on Capitol Hill. I served as Staff Director and General Counsel on the House Ways and Means Committee and held senior positions on the other key House committees, including Energy and Commerce and Oversight and Government Reform. You know, these committees have jurisdiction over policies that impact the automotive industry. So when I was offered this role, I was excited for the opportunity to represent not only iconic car brands that customers around the globe love, but also to be able to focus on trade and investment policies that support the U.S. auto manufacturing uh, sector and jobs here in America. What about you, Cody? Well, I, I came sort of back to the association after I started here in a uh, working in the legislative capacity many years ago, worked for uh, President Bush at the Commerce Department on trade policy, uh, did a stint on Capitol Hill, like Jennifer mentioned, with the Ways and Means Committee member, and then found my way back here as president and CEO of uh, AIDA. And, you know, happy to be here, love representing the dealers and love highlighting, as we're going to do today, uh, the tremendous value and commitment uh, they bring to the U.S. economy and American consumers. All right, on that note, I will ask um, Jennifer, um, AIADA, as Cody said, and Autos Drive America just released our joint annual economic impact report, and it features the latest data on international auto brands and dealers here in the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about some of the high points of this year's report as it relates to the OEMs um, manufacturers that you represent? Absolutely. This fact book, as we call it, is really actually pretty unique. Um, and we are so pleased that we continue to have this great partnership with AIADA on it. There is not another report out there that highlights the economic impact that international automakers and nameplate dealers have in the United States. So together, I think we provide a comprehensive picture of our members' contributions in the United States. And it's important to note that international automakers have been operating here for over 60 years and have invested 98 billion into the US operations. Today, they are completely woven into the fabric of American communities. And a few key points I would like to highlight, uh, international automakers have 31 US manufacturing plants that produce vehicles, batteries, and other components. They account for nearly half of all US auto production 
And, you know, that actually equates to really a lot of direct jobs, 131,000 American jobs, uh, which, of course, then there's this ripple effect uh, that these direct jobs have in creating millions of indirect jobs with suppliers and dealers and many others. So I think there's no question that international automakers have a significant presence all across our country today. Cody, can you talk a little bit about the dealer and sales specific data that the report highlights? Sure. I, I also want to thank Jennifer because I think she's 100% correct. It's such it's so great to have both sides of this equation represented, you know, at one time for our policymakers and other officials to, to see all this data in one kind of easy to read location. But, you know, we've got uh, 9,400 international nameplate franchises uh, that, that, you know, have about over 542,000 U.S. dealership employees with a payroll of north of $35 billion. And, and these are really, really good jobs. You know, the average annual salary is well over $65,000. Um, and, you know, half, over half of all U.S. dealership jobs are represented by our manufacturers. So that's, that's something I think we're really proud of. Uh, 7.8 million vehicles sold. And then really the one thing I think that we always try to highlight, which I think is forgotten, is our members sell 55% of, have 55% market share of uh, U.S. new vehicle sales. And that's that's growing. And I think the investment here is growing, which we'll highlight in a little bit. But these are fantastic numbers. Couldn't be prouder. Sounds like a good report. Um, Jennifer, I know that 2020 was a very challenging year for the auto industry. Um, so what kind of story do you think this report tells about the international auto industry in the U.S. Um, during the pandemic era and I guess post-pandemic as well? Yeah, you know, there's no question. I think we all know that 2020 was very challenging uh, in ways we could never have imagined. And we're still still, you know, getting through those challenges. You know, I would say for the auto industry, you know, they're, they're also still feeling the impact um, of these challenges on their supply chains in particular. You know, and so I think that what this report does is it really speaks to international automakers' commitment to the United States. You know, these companies quickly adapted to help protect their workforce, both with safety and health precautions, as well as financial assistance as needed. You know, and, and they continue to maintain production and delivering products to customers all over the world. You know, I think the report also speaks to their commitment to their workforce and their communities in, in those efforts that they undertook. Um, and I also think the report speaks to their resiliency, right? The numbers in this report could have been vastly different uh, if they were not resilient and quick to adapt their operations to these unprecedented challenges that all of us faced. Well, Cody, I'll give you kind of a similar question, but, um, you know, despite the recent economic headwinds, what are some of the ways you see this report making the case for the ongoing role of dealers in communities across the U.S.? Well, to piggyback on Jennifer's remark, resiliency and adaptability are two key traits that that really uh, represent, you know, the retail side of the sector as well. And I think dealers, we always find a way. They're always evolving, always trying to meet new challenges. And if you would have said, uh, you know, looking at April 2020, of what we were what we were staring at at that point, and then here coming out in September 21, that we would be where we are as an economy, as an industry, as a sector, I would have taken that in a heartbeat. So I think uh, uh, we do have some challenges ahead, uh, you know, with the chip shortage and other proposals we're talking about, um, you know, bad ideas being bandied around Congress, which we're never short of. But I think the, the, the numbers are the numbers, and the numbers make a, a stunning case for how important 
this sector is to not only the U.S. economy, but the U.S. consumers and the communities that they mm-hmm. serve. Kind of turning to the EV issue, I know that um, this report highlights several numbers about that, but um, Jennifer, EVs and alternative fuel vehicles I know are a major policy and legislative priority right now, um, with some in the Senate going so far as to tie EV credits to unionized auto plants. Talk to listeners about what this economic impact report indicates about international automakers and their U.S. operations as they relate to EVs and alternative fuel vehicles. Sure, you know, and and this goes, I think, to Cody's point they just made about bad ideas being bandied about in Congress. You know, nearly half of all vehicles manufactured in the U.S. are built by Americans who have chosen not to join a union. You know, I've had an opportunity to meet with several of my member companies' workers, and I will tell you, my biggest takeaway from talking with them is that they are so proud of the cars and trucks that they are building. You know, and they're and they're so confident of the career opportunities that they that they have and that are provided to them, um, and 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 by doing so, that they're able to support their families and their communities. And so, you know, these type of policies that really undercut a worker's right to choose their representation by disadvantaging the products they produce is simply wrong um, and and really should not be supported by anybody. Um, You know, what this report tells us is that international automakers really are American automakers. They are integral to America's workforce, their communities and the economy. And their workers should not be discriminated against simply because they have chosen not to work at a unionized facility. For you, Cody, we have talked a lot about how dealers are pivoting toward a more alternative fuel EV future. But um, what does this report indicate about the future of dealers and EVs, as well as efforts to subsidize EVs built exclusively, exclusively at unionized plants? Well, I think, first of all, dealers are always excited to to highlight and showcase whatever new technology is coming down the pike. You look back at, you know, when the Toyota Prius first came on and was getting a lot of attention, dealers were happy to to sell those products. You look at the hydrogen fuel cell, uh, you look at a lot of different things, even for safety technology, uh, EVs are no different. That's, that's something that's coming. Dealers are excited about that. They're embracing that. Um, and I think, you know, uh, and it's proved the numbers in this report prove that out. Uh, I believe a non-unionized international uh, brand automakers account for 62% of the green vehicles, market share of the green vehicles sold. So we're successful in this space. Uh, all we ask for is that, that we have a level playing field to give consumers what they want. And, you know, unfortunately, members in Congress have suggested using their own language that we tilt this playing field in favor of unions. And, you know, we get nowhere uh, as an industry or as a country when we're pitting American worker versus American worker. And I think, you know, the problem we have today is that the, the marketplace knows no favorites. Uh, customers get to go and choose whatever they want, uh, whatever meets their vehicle needs. It's Washington that has the problem, uh, who's trying to tilt consumers to choose one way or the other. Let's just let the market work. So let's talk a minute about trade. Um, turning towards this trade topic, this year's report certainly makes the case for trade and its impact on our industry um, from the manufacturing level down to the retail level. How have you seen the trade issue shift in Washington this year? And this question is for you, Jennifer. Um, and what are the ways you think this report addresses some of the key issues you're encountering among trade policymakers? You know, overall, um, this administration's position has largely been kind of a pause and review of U.S. trade policy so far. 
you know, this includes reengaging with partnerships and alliances with our trading partners and international organizations, um, but but really not not pushing forward any new trade agreements or any any additional new action. You know, we what we cannot forget though is that the United States, of course, is a global hub for auto manufacturing. You know, as you'll see in the report, you know, 650,000 U.S. built vehicles were exported to 165 countries around the globe by international automakers last year. That was at least 22 billion in vehicle exports. So with 53% of these exports last year going to US free trade agreement partners, you know, these numbers really I think show why global trade is so important for the US auto manufacturing industry. And you know, listen, Autos Drive America, you know, this association supports free trade policies as they lead to expanded competition and increased consumer choice. And so policies um, that you know, uh, policymakers consider, they really need to strike the right balance between increased investments here and boosting exports abroad. And I think that this report really highlights those factors. For you, Cody, um, in your work, what are some of the biggest ways that you see Washington misunderstanding AIADA's dealer members and the trade issue? Um, and how does this report answer some of these misconceptions? Well, I think if you look back in the early days, you know, the 80s, it was all about, you know, keeping imports out of the market. And we were going to be flooded with Japanese imports that were going to work to the detriment of uh, the U.S. economy. And I think at those times, you know, as Jennifer mentioned, about six, over 60 years ago, those manufacturers realized that if they wanted to make a real impact in the U.S. segment, they had to, to manufacture here. And little did we know, you know, 50, 60 years later, that almost all international nameplate manufacturers would have some sort of a presence here, uh, manufacturing vehicles for the U.S. market, but also using this market as an export hub. And that's, you know, a little uh, told uh, something that isn't really highlighted enough. And I think that's what's great about this report. Our members are so excited that their manufacturers are building here. They, they love that. They embrace that. And again, it goes to the point that the American consumer, I mean, they just want to buy what, what meets their needs. If they're looking for a minivan, they want to shop across all segments. They're not necessarily looking for, they're probably going to find, you know, an American made minivan. Uh, but you know, we just don't want Washington picking winners and losers. And that too often seems to be the case lately. So we're getting close to closing out. So I have a question for both of you. I will let um, Jennifer answer it first, but what, does this report tell us about the future of the international auto industry in the U.S.? Um, I, I'll go first. You know, I would say that I think it's exciting, right? I think, you know, what it shows, this report shows, is that there's no question that, you know, the significant investments have been made in the U.S. and they've created a vast ecosystem of manufacturing facilities, suppliers, dealers, and other businesses that create opportunities and improve lives across, across the country. You know, our members are committed to investing in, in American manufacturing workforce to ensure that America's competitive position in the global economy um, is, is clear. And they're building America's pipeline of talented auto industry workers through training and development programs. You know, this is something I think my members are most proud of, uh, and they should be. You know, for instance, you know, they offered a 215 workforce development programs last year. You know, they also work to retain their workforce with opportunities to expand their skills in order to be prepared to meet future requirements and changes in technology. You know, as the report highlights, they conducted 19 million trainings across the U.S. last year. 
You know, they also work really hard to cultivate the next generation of American workers by sparking interests in high tech manufacturing careers. And, you know, they do that by working with high schools and even grade schools to introduce students and young adults to the benefits of a career in manufacturing. Um, and, I, and I think that that's lost, oftentimes lost on, um, on many students, um, that this is a, a wonderful career path for them to consider. You know, they also work really hard to expand partnerships and apprenticeship programs with community and technical colleges and higher learning institutions to increase the diverse pool of skilled workers. And these programs are spread across 30 states. So I think, you know, there's no question my members have really uh, put an investment in creating a talented American workforce with ingenuity. You know, they're building more than just automobiles. They really are building communities. And the programs, initiatives, and partnerships they've created are really focused on building a strong future. And for you, Cody, um, can you answer the same question? What does this report tell us about the future? Well, I think, again, once again, this highlights that the future is bright for this industry. Mm -hmm. The numbers grow year over year. And as Jennifer highlighted, the, the things that her members are doing uh, because they've been successful in, in building the plants and growing those plants, the things that they're able to do in the workforce development front, uh, you know, the issue becomes finding workers, uh, which is a good problem to have as opposed to going the other direction. But I think, uh, you know, we're always looking to to grow the side of the industry, which is growing. Uh, this is, you know, our members are, are, are delighted to sell the new products that are coming, excited about the new products. They're growing. And so I think the future uh, is very bright uh, for our side of the industry if we could just keep the federal government out of our business and let us uh, let us all do our things for the betterment of uh, not only the U.S. economy but the the communities and the um, and the cities and states that that we serve. Well, I want to thank you both for joining Beltway Talk today. Do either of you have any final points before we wrap up, Jennifer? You know, I would just like to, to say, obviously, thank you again for having me. Um, I always enjoy talking about uh, the, the work and the investment uh, that my members are doing, because um, I think there's just so much to talk about it. And this report really does highlight um, all that they have done this past year, even, even given all the difficulties and challenges we all have faced. You know, I'll just add that, you know, your listeners can, can see all this information themselves, not only the national uh, statistics that we've talked about today, uh, but also state level information. If you just go to our website at autosdriveamerica.org slash economic dash impact. They'll be able to find the reports and, and, and look at all this information themselves. Cody, anything you want to add before we wrap up? No, I just want to thank you for having me back on and thank Jennifer and the team at Autos Drive America. It's a great partnership. And uh, like I said, the numbers are fantastic. It's a great report and we look, uh, look forward to sharing it with anybody and everybody. Thanks to Cody and Jennifer for joining me to talk about the newest economic impact report. For you listeners, find the newest report on AIADA's website at aiada.org report. And don't forget to share it with others in our industry as well as your legislators. Join us again next time for Beltway Talk.